This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. The legalization of recreational cannabis that went into effect this month can open doors for your career. If you are already in the industry or wondering what is the best path to break into the cannabis field, well, the University of Rhode Island has a program to help you become highly competitive in numerous areas of the cannabis industry. Fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy, the certificate program is 100% online and can be completed in two semesters. The next application deadline for the summer 2023 session is April 4th and courses start on May 9th. Learn more at uri.edu slash online slash cannabis or give them a call at 401-874-5280. All right, Secretary Gorbea, here we are in probably unless something unpredictable happens our last podcast as you with you as secretary of state how does it feel now that your as you've said your public service life is really you know the clock is about to strike midnight so to speak (laughs) (laughs) well you know first of all let me just say it has been the honor of a lifetime to be elected by the people of rhode island to represent them as secretary of state Uh, And, you know, when I was sworn in in 2015, I couldn't have imagined how amazing an experience it would be. I mean, I thought I knew the office because I had been a deputy secretary of state, but no, it was uh, it was a really fantastic eight years with a lot of challenges that, you know, we just all rallied together as a team and, and, and tackled head on. And, and I'm proud of the work that we, we did and, and that we've shown Rhode Islanders that their government can absolutely work for them. What would you say when you mentioned challenges, what would be the, an example of a, a major challenge that you, you kind of confronted head on? Well, there was that pandemic. <laughs> that we what was went that through. again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple of years, a pandemic uh, <laughs> and a presidential election that was highly contested. <laughs> right. um, uh, and, and that coming on the heels of, you know, uh, a, a presidential election in 2016 that uh, really upended uh, a lot of our um, a, a lot of our images and and what we thought American democracy uh, was about and how it operated. And by that, I mean, because we had foreign actors that really got involved in our presidential election uh, to sow misinformation, disinformation, uh, to do cyber attacks. And, and so uh, early on in my first term, you know, we, we, we really needed to um, uh, address many of these issues that when I was sworn in in 2015, we just had no idea that we would be facing. It's interesting how in the last few years, certainly stirred up by the Trump aspect of, of politics, not just Trump himself, but mm-hmm. the those around him, this sort of election denial, integrity of elections. I mean, I remember being at an event after the 2020 election where some people were protesting outside of the board of elections and Someone said, well, you know, I had a lead going into when I went to bed, I had this huge lead and then I woke up and, you know, they they somehow made up fake mail ballots so I would lose. And, uh, you know, we, we called it the Lancia effect throughout the course of this year where someone went to bed literally thinking they had won and then they woke up and when mail ballots were tabulated, they had 
been defeated, but the the acceptance of the way things go, that must have been an enormous challenge from your standpoint, because it's almost like anything you say can't really be accepted as reality by some of these folks. Well, but yes, it's definitely a challenge, but I'm proud of the fact that in Rhode Island, that's a really small minority of, sure. of the population. I mean, there are always going to be people who don't agree. Uh, you can't win, you know, a hundred percent of the, of, 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 of the, the vote, if you will. Right. Um, what I think we did by just working really, really hard, uh, was to ensure that anybody who was casting questions or doubts was confronted head on. And, and we, I invited people to come in to not just my office. I, you know, I know that the board of elections welcomed people to come and see the elections are community events. They are public. You can go into the board of elections and see how the count happens. You can see the number of individuals that are involved in ensuring that elections are managed and, and administered in an ethical way. And to me, uh, that was a real test, but I think it's a test that we were able to, um, to, to, to succeed in by just confronting people and saying, you know, I hear that you have concerns. I share those concerns. I want there to be integrity in elections, just like you do. Let me show you all the different ways in which we protect the integrity of the ballot and the ballot count. And you tell me if you see something that maybe we haven't thought of. Right. It, 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 that's, that's really the only way to fully convince someone, I suppose. What about some of the other initiatives? I, I think about the state archives. We did a fun podcast episode several years ago where we went through the state archives and it was like same idea of the, bringing the public mm -hmm. into government. That That's a big legacy issue that yeah. you'll, or I don't even know if issue, but that's a project that you'll be tied to going forward. Yeah, no, and it was an amazing joy. I mean, we have, you know, 400 years of historic documents. Very few states, only 13 of them can actually say that they have that kind of legacy of history. And and it gives us the opportunity to not just celebrate, you know, the good parts of, you know, for example, being that place uh, to which our country owes separation of church and state. Uh, that is a place that was founded on religious freedom, but also gives us the space to reflect on those places where we didn't live up to our potential. That yes, we, uh, you know, enslaved people and profited from their work without due, due reparations. So the state archives is an amazing space in which to both celebrate and reflect. And it was my joy to be able to move it from very um, mediocre, almost damaging uh, space uh, in a flood zone, no less, in downtown Providence to up on a hill, we boss at hill, um, to a state-of-the-art vault. Um, it was not what I uh, wanted completely because, you know, I, I had uh, dreams and, and I shared those with you about uh, building a, a Rhode Island State History Center that included the state archives. Uh, but sadly, we had this pandemic go through the middle of the two terms. And, and so that made it very difficult to to marshal uh, that project. But uh, I am I'm encouraged by the fact that uh, the secretary elect, uh, Greg Amore, has 
uh, particular interest, uh, having been a, a social studies teacher, a fantastic social studies teacher, and has said in his campaign that he'll he'll take on the fight for that for that proper space uh, in the future. We saw a a really significant increase in corporate formation, especially during the pandemic year. And what do you attribute that to? It that is what happens when you make it government easy. Uh, we had upgraded our corporation systems, uh, our web interface, and literally two days before the shutdown, we had unveiled the newest version of the website. And we had streamlined processes, thinking of that small business owner, keeping that as our north. If I don't know anything about the bureaucracy or starting a business, how should this Department of State interface with you through a web page? And when you make it easy for people to understand what it is they have to do, they go ahead and do it and they go and start their business, which is great. Uh, and I think it, it, it speaks to the power of simplifying government to, to making sure that it's working for people where they are, not where the bureaucracy wants it to be. You ran for governor this year, and it was a really engaging campaign. It was something that I certainly felt like had a, a ton of energy from the standpoint of podcasting, talk radio. What, when you look back on, on this run and having stated in a Boston Globe article that was published a few weeks ago that you're going to the private sector, that you're going to close your campaign account, you know, what, what do you, how do you walk away from your career as a whole, including the gubernatorial run this year and what was a really, uh, like I said, engaging at, at honestly three-way Democratic primary that, that was really, a, it, no one knew when they woke up on primary day how that was going to play out. It was very difficult to predict. Yeah. No, you know, it, it, I, um, I am blessed with having been able to make a difference during these eight years. Um, you know, I tried to continue that. It didn't work out in, in terms of that race. But, but, you know, that race gave me the opportunity to explore with Rhode Islanders more of their hopes and dreams. And so I carry that memory of the, that engagement um, with me. Uh, there are many ways in which uh, we can make a difference in, in the world around us. And the private sector is certainly one of them. Uh, and, you know, in, in particular, the nonprofit sector, which is one that I've worked in before, uh, I feel a real calling to to this work of, of making a difference in the community. The, uh, being an elected leader is not the only way to do that. And, and so, um, you know, and I, and I look at some of the, the real challenges of of running for these uh, top level statewide offices. Uh, I, you know, I've I've said in, in other um articles as well that that we need campaign finance reform not just for the you know the stereotypical reasons that sort of people parrot out about you know people we need to get it out of corporate interests or, or whatever yeah that's true but if we truly want people from different walks of life not just the wealthy and the well-connected to be able to have a shot at doing this we have to have campaign finance reform i mean it's a civil rights issue because of the income inequality in our country and, and in our state. So, um, you know, I am, I am an optimist about Rhode Island. I know that there are many other ways in which to make a difference. 
And I look forward to doing that now out of the private sector. My family certainly is <laughs> happy that I'm going to do it out of the private sector. Um, I don't think uh, people um, fully appreciate the toll that it does take on your family to have these very, very public positions. I can only imagine. Um, so one of your legacy issues in general has been housing. And mm -hmm. look, we've seen it acutely be for the last three weeks or more. It's been this incredible dominant headline with the unhoused camp outside of the state house and look there's it goes way beyond that it's zoning at the municipal level it's 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 reimagining what housing is it's government programs it's increasing wages i mean there, there, there's so much to this calculation but leaving public office now going into the private sector what's just your you know as someone who has expertise in this this field what's your message to anyone who's involved in sculpting housing policy if, if you could give them one piece of advice what would it be if if you're worried about this if you feel you can contribute get engaged we need you we need civic engagement in the housing space we need good people to um put themselves forward to be on zoning boards and planning boards to question how it is that we're doing things we need good people to serve on the boards of nonprofits that are addressing the housing issue, whether it be a community development corporation or the Rhode Island Coalition for the Homeless. We need people to donate, to give of their, of their talent and their treasure uh, to solve this issue. This is not going to be solved by government alone. This will be a community-wide effort to address things, to change structures in ways that make sure that every Rhode Islander has a safe quality place to call home last question here your advice to incoming secretary of state secretary of state elect greg amore you mentioned he's a social studies teacher civic engagement really at all levels because i can't tell you the number of people that asked me like two days before the election so this ashley kalis she was a cvs executive or something like that right and and you go wow you know there are two different stratospheres of engagement but beyond that just in general, what's your advice to Secretary-elect Amori about, you know, taking the keys to that office day one, you sit down at the desk and you look ahead for at least the next four years, what, what would you tell him to, to take in in that moment? Um, you know, there's, there's very little um, advice that I can really provide him because I, I actually think he's a great guy mm. and he is coming into this office uh, with uh, a fantastic... Uh, background and and passion for the core aspects of this office, which are civic engagement, uh, elections. How do we get people more involved, whether you're a business person or you're wanting to hold government accountable? And so I am um, incredibly excited about uh, how he's going to be able to take this office beyond what I've been able to do uh, because of his background, because of his passion and because of his vision or what Rhode Island should be like. Secretary of State Nellie Gorbet, you've been a fantastic regular guest here on the show, and, and we really appreciate that, including a live event that we did at PVD Fest a few summers ago that I was that. highly memorable. And really best wishes for your path going forward and stay in touch. No, thank you so much, Bill, for your passion uh, for bringing our stories forward. Thank you.